Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hi, America, and welcome to the John Solomon Reports podcast. This is Sophie Mann sitting in for John Solomon today, but don't worry, you'll still get to hear his voice later in the show. Uh, We've got a great show today. We'll be talking with Washington's third, uh, third district congressional candidate, Joe Kent. I spoke with him a little bit earlier. He's going to be going over a lot of what's happening around the country that he's been seeing. He just got that uh, that very sacred endorsement by former President Donald J. Trump. So he's excited about that. And, um, you know, as, as a combat veteran, he is fully prepared to talk about Afghanistan, what went on there, what we heard from the generals last week and everything that continues to come from the fallout. A little bit later, John will be talking to um, economist Steve Moore, who we know well on this program and around the site. Uh, they'll be talking everything about the U.S. economy. We, you know, we got new uh, consumer price index numbers in last week. They're not looking good, folks. But I mean, you, of course, already know that. So Steve is going to be talking to us a little bit about that. Um, he's always fun and exciting to hear from. One note just before we get the show really kicked off today is that while today's show is great tomorrow, everyone, Tomorrow, John will be sitting down with none other than former President Donald J. Trump himself. So you won't want to miss that. That's coming up normal time tomorrow. Just tune right into the John Solomon Reports podcast. You can get it on Apple, on our website, or anywhere where uh, your podcasts are available. So we're excited for that right after the break, which we're about to take right now. We'll be back with, um, as I said, Joe Kent. I'll be sitting down to speak with him. So stick around and we'll see you in just a sec. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake-me-up-when-the-sun-sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the John Solomon Reports podcast. This is Sophie Mann sitting in for John Solomon. Uh, We've got a really special guest on today, somebody whose campaign we've been keeping track of since it launched, what seems like a while ago now. Um, It's Joe Kent, who's running for Congress in Washington's third district. Uh, He has, you know, a resume a mile long, so I I will spare you the details for now, but let's uh, welcome him on. Joe, good morning. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for being here. So, Joe, I mean, first of all, you have a very, very colorful and well-established military history. I mean, that is, uh, as you've said many times, one of the reasons that you are running now to continue to fight for America, albeit in D.C. as opposed to abroad. Um, Talk to us about how you're thinking and feeling about the continued tumult um, that, that is happening per the fallout from the uh, hasty Afghan exit at this point that happened um, in late August. So not not just about a month ago, but I guess we are now technically two months removed. Yeah, I mean, it's such a disaster with so many layers. I think the best place to start is just on the uh, on the current situation. I think it's it's easy to forget um, because the news is largely buried. that There's still Americans um, and SIV Afghans that are eligible for American citizenship that have been abandoned by our government that are still in Afghanistan that are still right now actively on the run from the Taliban. And that's because the Biden administration has done everything they can to try and change the topic away from the disastrous withdrawal. They told us that we lost the 13 service members um, at Abbey Gate there at Hamid Karzai Airport because they were trying to go and, and receive and save all these Afghans that had worked with us. Turns out that was a lie. The 100,000 plus that we got to the States, only 3% of them are actually SIV people that we have done some degree of vetting on. The rest are unknown. They've been given safe passage to America. They're now essentially going to be given uh, some form of U.S. support in America, and we're going to have to absorb them into our massive welfare system. Meanwhile, um, real actual American citizens who are working um, as part of the, the mission over there uh, in Afghanistan, and then also SIV holders who worked with us, the translators and some of the soldiers, they've been essentially abandoned. So I think that's the, the most uh, pressing issue really right now. Yeah, and I mean, especially when it comes to the, the question of who remains in Afghanistan and how many people who we have a responsibility to get out are still there. Uh, all numbers, it seems, have been ha- have been extremely opaque coming from the government. I mean, just last week we saw three top military leaders testify before the House and the Senate, and each one of them would not give a real response in terms of the number of people that are still on the ground there. You know, uh, Secretary of State Blinken continues to say that he thinks it's fewer than 100, but, um, you know, sort of anecdotal reports and not even anecdotal reports, anecdotal uh, reports rather from from people who are on the ground there and running organizations that are, you know, really, really trying to get people out are saying, of course, it's more than 100 people. Joe, do you have any insight into sort of the numbers we're looking at over there? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we're, we're, it's much closer to it. If you include family members, because there are American citizens and there are SIV folks who they may have uh, U.S. citizenship, they may have a green card, they may have SIV paperwork in, but they're not going to abandon their families. Um, so we're looking at closer to a thousand, uh, I think. And, and I think I still am being a little bit conservative. If you looked at immediate family members, people who won't leave their children, um, obviously. So I think that's a closer number. Yeah. I mean, in terms of let's let's go a little bit broad here in terms of kind of the public, the American public's response to how the Biden administration has behaved during and in the wake of this uh, Afghan disaster. How do you think people are responding? I mean, it certainly seemed at first like there was a decent amount of upset, you know, people, especially as the sort of 20th anniversary of 9-11 cropped up. There was really some outrage, um, definitely some 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 uh, intense emotions flying. I mean, we're about a month removed, as I said, now. And, you know, the news cycle moves on. And I mean, I wonder if this is going to be something that Americans sort of move past and therefore was a calculated decision by the Biden administration. What's what's your impression? 
you know, this was the calculation by the Biden administration. Americans don't pay very close attention to foreign policy unless it's right up in their face and something like 9-11 happens, something like the Iraq war invasion happens, or something like the catastrophic withdrawal happens. So it was hot in the news cycle for a bit. And now Biden's political calculations, at least in this degree, I, I think are, are kind of holding true. And I really want to do everything I can to make it not leave the news cycle, because obviously for the immediate, pre- immediate pressing issue, there are people that still need our help over there that we have an obligation to. But then also, I mean, really, the what we saw unfold and everybody was very appalled watching the way that the withdrawal went down that sheds light on the greater foreign policy endeavor that we've undertaken with the global war on terror and how many lies upon lies have just been compounded with this whole nation building experiment um and then the fact that you know i I think the last administration trump had a plan i know he had a plan to get us out of there and he was blocked every step of the way by republicans and by democrats resulting in this huge cat uh this huge debacle that we have with this uh with this withdrawal so I, I really think that it's incumbent upon us because there are so many lessons to learn to keep this, you know, on the forefront of the national discussion, especially of how, how and why our nation fights wars and the obligations we have to those who, who fight those wars with us. Right. And I mean, you know, one thing that has cropped up uh, uh, vis-a-vis this, this, you know, disastrous withdrawal is, I mean, always when there's some sort of crisis, it highlights uh, the fact that there are issues in a number of different parts of sort of the operations of the U.S. government. So one thing that the media has sort of been paying a decent amount of attention to recently is the chain of command when it comes to generals like Mark Milley and um, Lloyd Austin and uh, Frank McKenzie, who are the three who were testifying last week. There have certainly been some questions about uh, General Milley's behavior. And I mean, you know, perhaps even more significantly, all three generals testified or military leaders rather testified last week that they advised President Biden to keep a small number of troops on the ground in Afghanistan when it became clear exactly what they were dealing with in terms of the Taliban resurgence. What do you make sort of of what came out of those hearings last week and this advice that was clearly not heeded by the White House and sort of uh, the result that we're seeing now? Yeah, it's just leadership failure on every front. And I I don't want to give Biden a pass because he did an absolutely terrible job as commander in chief. All blame ultimately ends with him, especially considering he could have had us out by May. And that's when the Taliban started this offensive. So he gets all the ultimate blame. But here's the deal with the military. They're always going to say, hey, we need six more months. We need 18 more months. We need to leave troops. That's always going to be their recommendation. They've been ordered now by multiple commanders and chiefs. President Trump, they blocked him every single step of the way as he tried to get us out of Afghanistan. Biden even came in and I completely disagree with the way he did it. He should have had us out in May, as I said, but they knew the military knew that they, that Biden wanted us out of Afghanistan. And so did the American people. So it was their job to follow the chain of command under Trump. It was their job to follow the chain of command under President Biden, and they failed to do so. It doesn't matter at the end of the day what they think. They gave their input, but then their job should have been to plan this, this actually a planned and ordered withdrawal. And they didn't do that, and then shame on President Biden for not enforcing that. Um, but we have a, a really a horrible system right now with this military industrial complex and these generals that think that they can make policies and that their policies endure every single administration. That's not the way that our system works whatsoever. Right. So, I mean, talk a little bit about what you think the implications of that sort of are. I mean, you, you're somebody who I believe you served 11 tours of duty. Uh, you know, how do you see the military operating right now sort of from top down? Do you think it's I mean, as as is the case with so many different institutions in government right now, sort of out of control, out of control of the executive branch and sort of just acting um, as this sort of permanent bureaucratic uh you know, institution that has a mind of its own outside of who is elected. 
Yeah, I think the easiest one to see is the military industrial complex, but really our permanent administrative state, the deep state, whatever whatever you want to call it, the people that endure every single administration, um, these these guys are out of control on every single level. I mean, like I said, the military, just look at the Afghan papers that were released. I don't think they got enough attention because they came out under Trump and they probably would have vindicated a lot of what Trump was saying. So the media kind of buried them. But people need to go back and look at the Afghan papers for multiple presidential administrations. You had mid to senior level military officers that were lying about what was going on in Afghanistan. We know the same thing was true in Iraq because we know the entire Iraq war was based off lies. Then we mm-hmm. said we built this great military. The second it faced a challenge from ISIS, they dropped their weapons and they turned and they ran. So we, we saw all those lies come, come unraveling. But really, we've had this military system that's done exactly what it wants to do. It wants to keep these wars going. And then all the apparatus around it, the think tanks, the uh, – the defense contractors, they perpetuate that and keep it going. And they really have been able to shirk what presidents say. Under Trump, the media really covered for them. I was hoping that the only good that came from this Afghan debacle was that even the military, there was like a week, I'm sorry, even the media, there was like a week there where even like CNN and MSNBC were covering how big of a debacle it was because even they couldn't cover for Biden in the way that they usually do on other topics. Um, But that's throughout the entire government. I mean, that covers the intelligence community, that covers the State Department. That covers what happens on Wall Street. That I mean, look at Fauci and, and the NIH and what these these people are, these healthcare experts are, are telling us every day about COVID. Like we can't trust them because they're lying to us consistently and over and over again. So the administrative state or the deep state, as Trump called it, like it is a very real thing that we have to dismantle if we're going to continue to have the people of this country continue to trust the institutions that the people give power to. I think we're, I think we're in a very dangerous place right now where we're just losing faith on every level in these institutions. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that that's a pretty apt summary of the way a lot of people are feeling. And, you know, as a sort of the, the world and Americans face a number of perilous and uh, just significant uncertainties in their lives that we've seen unfold over the past year and a half, two years, um, I think a lot of mistrust of government institutions has come to light and, you know, reason to mistrust government institutions has come to light. And Joe, I guess that's why you're trying to head to D.C. and sort of begin to fight uh, in in a new way, these types of institutional bias and um, corruption. How do you think that it, should you uh, be elected to Congress? How do you think you're going to begin approaching that? I mean, it's a daunting task for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I this is a huge reason why I'm running. I mean, my wife was was killed in Syria a month after Trump tried to get us out the mm-hmm. first time, and then the administrative slow roll really put her in that position. Her and three other great Americans that kind of put me in the on this trajectory that I'm on right now. I, I think we really have to go hard and heavy. We have to almost go scorched earth. We have to demand accountability. We have to have the Armed Services Committee demand accountability from the military. We have to have intelligence oversight demand accountability for our intelligence community and all the politicization that's happened there. We need to have accountability for January 6th. I mean, I'm election integrity and what happened in 2020 is still one of my key issues. That needs to be fully adjudicated in front of all the American people. I fully support the full forensic audits. Um, Fauci as well. Fauci, NIH, the origins of COVID, all of that needs to be laid out for the American people, all these major events where there's been a narrative and we've caught them lying time and time again, we need to go through, lay it out for the American people and then put forward real reforms. This has happened before, you know, in our history, you know, in the, in the in the fifties and the sixties, when we caught the intelligence community doing certain things, the church committees, we've had incidents like this before, and we've been able to make these institutions, you know, maintain some credibility. But every now and again, I, I do think we have to have these times where there's actually reckoning and there's actually accountability. And we just lack that on every level. 
I mean, just this uh, news that broke Friday, Saturday about all the insider trading going on with the head of the Fed, um, the way they were manipulating their stocks, their personal portfolios before the pandemic. I mean, there's just there's just incident after incident. And, and I really think that if we don't have con- Congress step in with their key oversight role, that things will be off the rail. So I, I think that the power of the oversight committee really needs to be something that Congress focuses on going forward in, in 22, 23. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I think after a couple of uh, years of, um, you know, oversight committee hearings, or not even years, months at this point of oversight committee hearings coming from the Democrats, it uh, it, it seems like uh, some type of change is, is perhaps wanted. And we'll see what comes of that. So, Joe, as I've said, you're you're running in Washington's third district to replace uh, Jamie Herrera Butler, another Republican currently serving in Congress. Tell us about that race. How how's it going? It seems like you've really caught on. You know, you got uh, President Trump, former President Trump's endorsement just a couple of weeks ago. That must have been exciting. Yeah. How, like, how are things going? Well, they're going really well. So obviously getting the endorsement from President Trump was huge. It's the most influential uh, political endorsement, I think, in the history of political endorsements. So mm-hmm. very honored to get that. Um, and obviously that that helped out with the momentum a good deal. Um, but people here in the third congressional district, they're, they're, I think, just like the rest of America, they're fed up with what's going on at, at every single level. Everything we just discussed, we have a very activist governor out here, Jay Inslee. He's kind of like Andrew Cuomo, but of the West. So he's locking everything back down again. Mm-hmm. Uh, masks and uh, vaccine mandates at the state level going trying to reach into the classroom and do it to our children too so we've actually had a good deal groundswell of people that are just really fed up and and they want their freedoms back and they want their voices to be heard so i mean it's been incredibly busy uh campaign season and we're you know we're still uh, a good deal out so things have been going really well we've been getting a good deal of uh, national media coverage as well but really it it has to do with how I think just mobilized your average citizen is right now because they can see their freedoms are being taken away at every single level. So it's uh, as scary and bleak as things look at, at times, getting out and getting to some of these rallies and talking to everyday people that are, are becoming political act, politically active for like the first time. It, it's actually very motivating and kind of really uh, puts a lot of faith back into me for the direction of this country. That's great to hear. I mean, it, it must be a very interesting and new experience for you to be out on the campaign trail. I know that your time is limited and we really appreciate appreciate you being with us here today. So just one final question, maybe two, before you go. Um, you've been out there touring a bunch and, I mean, seeing not just people in your own state, but as you said, sort of all over the country. What, in your estimation, are maybe the one or two biggest issues that Americans are worried about right now and possibly looking to vote about in 2022? So right now it's election integrity and what we're going to do about 2020. So people are smart. They know that no other issue matters unless we fix our elections. So I know there's a lot of people in the GOP that don't like talking about that, but really having a plan, I'm, I'm, uh, I've signed on to a lawsuit here in my own county uh, for a full forensic audit in Washington State. I know people don't hear about Washington State very much, but we've been doing mail-out ballots and Dominion tabulation machines now for about 15 years. So we're pushing for a full forensic audit in our state, and then we're supporting the efforts throughout the country. And like I said, when I get into Congress, I want to have a full congressional inquiry about the 2020 election so that we can lay out all that evidence for the American people. And people want to hear that. Like, There's some conservatives that don't want to talk about that, but this this is on the tip of everyone's tongue especially what's going on down in Maricopa County, Georgia, and all that. So that's probably the number one issue. The number two issue, I I would say, is the accountability piece, but in particular with COVID and getting these COVID restrictions just off of, away from our children, get get the COVID restrictions, the vaccine mandates, the mask mandates, away from the kids, get it away from the workers. We get a lot of people in this state that are actually losing their jobs now because of either their private sector jobs have decided decided to go forward with vaccine mandates, 
our state government here went ahead of the federal mandate. And so they're actually like two weeks ahead of the federal mandate. So we've already had a lot of people starting to lose their jobs there as well. So getting the government's COVID restrictions off of our off of people's backs as well is probably, I would say, the, the number two issue, just because it's so limiting people's uh, personal freedoms and then their economic freedoms. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, again, I think something that, yeah, a lot of Americans are, are sharing in their frustrations about right now. So here's the real final question, Joe. Where can everybody find information about your campaign should they want to look into it further? Yeah, just please go to JoeKentForCongress.com. Uh, there's links to all my social media on there. We update our events page. And then if people can, I'd really appreciate a donation. I'm going up against the not just the GOP establishment, but also the uh, the far left. We're not taking any any big PAC money right now. And so we're actually beating a, an 11-year incumbent right now, two to one. And that's all thanks to small contributions. Our average contribution is like $53. But it's the power of the people. So uh, yeah. JoeKentForCongress folks can help us. Thanks so much, Joe. Well, uh, folks, you heard it. Every dollar counts uh, for Joe Kent and a number of other races that are going on across the country as we approach 2022. We'll be right back after a quick commercial break. And when we do come back, John will be talking to your favorite economist, Steve Moore, about everything that's going on with inflation and all the rest of it right now. Those of you on the ground know that the U.S. economy has been a little rocky of late and uh, Steve's going to give us the real deal picture of all of that. So that's right after the break. We'll see you soon. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, one of my favorite economists, somebody who gets it right every time and also makes it understandable, joining us right now is the amazing economist, Steve Moore, my good friend, Steve. Welcome back to the show. Hi, John. Great to be with you. And boy, these are amazing times. Right? Oh, my <laughs> so, gosh. And you know what's amazing point. is six months ago, you were predicting this exact thing. And everybody said, ah, no, that's alarmist. Janet Yellen's like, yeah, just small inflation, fleeting inflation. They've all come around to your thinking. And uh, I, last week, Yellen did a big uh, turnabout. She went from it's transitory and small to it's going to be longer and bigger. Um, uh, what is going on with the fundamentals of the economy right now? Well, on one hand, the economy is strong. I mean, we have a very uh, strong, um, you know, GDP. Uh, businesses are doing well. The stock market has been a rocket ship. So th- that's all good. But we ha- we do have a problem with the rising prices, no question about it. And people feel it. And, and as you see it, by the way, in the polls, it's, the, it's one of the two or three most worrisome thing for people right now is they're paying more for gas, they're paying more for food, they're paying more for meat, and they're paying more for transportation costs. All those things are going up. And it shrinks the paycheck. And so Americans are really 
feeling uh, pinched and squeezed by this inflation. And I'll tell you this, John, if we pass another four, five, six trillion dollars of debt, that's only going to make the inflation problem much, much worse. I mean, yeah. just more dollars chasing fewer goods means higher inflation. So I am worried about it. The Fed is not sufficiently worried about it. I think they're behind the curve. And I think, we're, you know, right now we have five percent inflation. I think it could go up to six or seven percent, which is really, really troublesome. Yeah, yeah, because wages aren't keeping up. Any wage gains that people have made have been erased by this inflation. Yeah, wages are rising about 4%, which is in normal times a really good number, but not when you have 6% inflation. It means you're losing. I mean, the other day, uh, Joe Biden was crowing about the wage gains for workers, and, you know, they're up 4%. Well, yeah, but if inflation is 6%, your your paycheck is actually shrinking. And, And I said this before, but it is worth repeating. The people really get clobbered by the inflation are the people who lived on fixed incomes and people who make less than $50,000 a year who, you know, when they have to pay more for groceries and they have to pay more for gas, it has a real negative effect on there. It has to come from somewhere else. There's no reserves. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The second thing that I'm hearing a lot of people uh, complain about, some have gone to stores and all of a sudden there are things you're waiting for. You order a part for a car, you order a part for, uh, what is going on with the supply chain? How could we be this short of supplies? What's what's the dynamic there? Well, some of it is just the leftover effect from all the lockdowns we had in 2020 and and, and early 21. And that's put a a real... um, kind of not in the supply chain. But there's also something else going on, especially in the United States, which is getting workers on the job. And we still have 10 million job openings in the United States, which is incredible. Uh, those are jobs that cannot be filled because workers are not going back to work. Uh, the this $4 trillion, $4 to $5 trillion spending bill that Biden wants vastly expands welfare benefits for not working. Uh, and it's kind of welfare for reform in reverse. We're actually paying people more money, more money not to be working rather than incentivizing people to get back in the workforce. And, you know, you don't have to believe, believe me about this, John. Any small businessman or woman or, or even the big companies. I talked to Fred Smith, who is the Fed, the chairman and CEO of, of FedEx, you know, one of the 50 largest companies in the world with over 100,000 employees. He told me the other day they have 20,000 job openings. That is amazing. 20,000. If I understand right, there are more job openings and there are people in the marketplace looking for a job, right? There's a gap there, isn't there? Yep, there is. Now, uh, we have a lot of people who could be and should be working, uh, but 10 million is a lot. And, and, and in some ways, that's a good thing. I mean, I'd rather have, you know, more jobs than, than you know, uh, than too many workers. But on the other hand, we have, I estimate that if we had cut the payroll tax last year rather than increased all the unemployment benefits, we'd have about 5 million more people working today. And, you know, we want people to be productive. We want people to get off the couch. We want them to get up and have a reason to yeah. get up in the morning. And, and, you know, the studies show the longer people stay unemployed, the worse it is for them and their families. You have people, John, who now who haven't worked for 18 months. Wow. And, you know, the longer you stay out, the more tempted you are to stay out. Isn't that one of the dynamics that... Uh, yeah. employment coaches mentioned it does and it also has negative effects i mean studies show that long-term unemployment affects families children um it you know leads to higher drug use alcoholism uh depression so it's we're not doing the workers a favor by paying them to stay on the couch yeah great point such a great point when you look at this picture uh this is the biden economy now right there, uh, the uh, the all the changes in the infrastructure, regulatory structure, tax structure, all those things are uh, Biden. What is the Biden? You know, Biden inflation. I hear that term. 
What is the, when you summarize what the Biden economic plan is, what is it doing to America right now? Well, we're still, look, we're still on either the fumes from the vaccine. I mean, the right. vaccine has been one of the great uh, economic stimuluses of all time, right? We have businesses reopened. Uh, we have uh, people, you know, Americans are getting back on the job more slowly than they should. But that's been amazing. It's been very positive for the economy that we have of people who can get back to work. But I do think all of this debt and all this spending and all the taxing that Biden is doing will create a a kind of hangover effect. And that hangover effect is going to be, I think, felt next year or in 2023. Uh, You know, it's like if you run up your credit card, you know, it feels good when you buy all the stuff, right, John? Yeah. But when the bill comes. It doesn't feel so good. And I think (laughs) I think that's where we are right now. And, and I would say this, that because this is critical. This bill that is in front of Congress right now, as you and I speak, and I think this is going to go on until Christmas. The Democrats have a big train wreck in Washington right yeah, now. They you've, you've been covering line. Yeah, but if they pass that bill anywhere near the form that it's in right now, with the massive tax increases, the massive of assault on American energy, the massive uh, increase in welfare benefits, the big increase in debt, all of those things, I think, will will cause financial crisis in this country. And I think Wall Street right now, people ask me, well, things are so bad. Why is the stock market so high? I think that investors are betting that Republicans are going to be able to stop this. I hope they can, but I wouldn't bet my life on it. And, you know, right now we have an economy where the whole fate of the Western world rests on the back of the shoulders of uh, Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin. Yeah, it's a pretty remarkable moment that two people are holding the line to an entirely new world. The taxes that are in buried in these uh, bills, and there are just so many of them. You know, uh, the the line the Democrats always, well, we're getting the rich to pay their fair share. But the truth of the matter is, all it does is add to the expense of companies and others. Right? If, if, if a company has a tax burden, they don't take it out of their profits. They, they pass it on. So is this another, are the taxes another potential point of inflationary pressure? Well, I think the taxes depress economic activity. You know, look, I'm a supply sider. I go back right. to Reagan. You know, we, we cut tax rates under Reagan. Forty years ago, the stock market was at 1000 Today, it's at 35000 This has been the last 40 years since the beginning of the Reagan era have been the greatest period of wealth creation uh, and income gains in the history of civilization. I mean, it's been incredible. We went took a country that had $10 trillion of wealth, and now we have $100 trillion of wealth. I laugh when Joe Biden says, we have to reverse what we've done over the last 40 years. <laughs> you insane. Are yeah. you completely nuts? I mean, the last 40 years have been incredible uh, in terms of, uh, and not just for the rich, middle incomes have risen very substantially. And, and that's all put at risk. I believe what the Democrats and the left are trying to do is is really reverse not just the Trumponomics, but the Reaganomics, which, which means lower tax rates, less regulation, you know, better trade deals, uh, pro-American energy production. All of that is being put at risk here, and it would take years. Here's what scares me, John. If they manage to pass this bill, it's not going to take years. It's going to take decades to undo this stuff. I mean, let me give you one example. They want paid parental leave. And it's not just if the child, if someone near to you is is sick. You you know, you're going to have workers just not showing up for work. I talk to employers now who say even with the unpaid parental leave, people don't show up. Imagine if you're paying people not to work and you can say oh my kid had a fever this morning it's going to wreak havoc on the economy now my point is what are the chances john if we pass paid parental leave that we'll ever repeal that yeah zero (laughs) it's a demagogy issue once it's in it's never coming out yeah exactly so there are a lot of things like that in this bill uh Uh, 
The tax rates go up to, you know, 45. Our, our small businesses in the United States would pay the highest tax rates in the world. Our corporations would pay higher tax rates than China and Russia. It's unreal. I mean, this utopia that we're building is fundamentally reshaping the America that we've lived in for a half a century. That's right. Last question, because I know you got to run. If Republicans are going to seek a mandate in 22, 2024, what is the economic agenda they need to go back to? Well, it has to be an agenda of limited government, of growth, of pro-worker. I, look, I like America first. I mean, I yeah. know that's Trump, but America for this bill, the, the agenda that, that Biden is proposing is America last. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, put, it's closing down our energy. By the way, did you see China has now a thousand coal plants? A thousand. Do you think? So much for climate change improvement, huh? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's unreal. So, we need to put American interests first, American businesses first. We have to have school choice for every child. We have to lead to have a situation where, you know, we as, as conservatives believe that we are a, a, a society of opportunity. I mean, you see people all over the world coming to the United States. Every immigrant wants to come here. This is a land of opportunity, and we need to continue to say that anybody can who comes into this country or, or is born, you can lift yourself up by your bootstraps and, and make a better life for yourself. And, and all of this welfare and all this government dependence is, where's that work, John? Show me anywhere in the world where that's yeah. worked. Oh, yeah, it never has. History keeps repeating itself, and yet there are some in this country that want to impose it one more time. Yep. Steve, it is always an honor to have you on the show. You make economics so easy to understand, and uh, we're just so lucky every time we get to talk to you. And I want to thank you for all your insights today. Well, thank you, John. And by the way, this stuff is not complicated, except when uh, when uh, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi say we're going to spend a $5 trillion bill, and it's not going to cost you anything. It's yes. free. <laughs> <laughs> I think even I can do that math and say, that doesn't add up. <laughs> right. uh, it's great to have you on. Thanks so much. Thank you, John. Take care. All right, you too. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back, everyone, to the John Salmon Reports podcast. Let's wrap it up for today, Monday, October 4th. What a great show we had. Again, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, tomorrow, John will be sitting down with former President Donald J. Trump to go over, you know, the state of our union, everything that you want to hear from President Trump, he will be talking about. Uh, you know the guy, he he likes to talk, he likes to give us a good show, and that's what we're hoping for tomorrow. So that's tomorrow regular time on the show. Everything should be 
up and running according to schedule. We look forward to having you tune in and hearing your feedback. We love to hear from you guys. Love when you leave us comments on the show. You know, all five star ratings are important and much appreciated, but we love to hear, you know, exactly what you're thinking when it comes to uh, reviewing how we're doing, what kind of content you like to hear and all of that. So uh, that's, again, tune in tomorrow, Tuesday, October 5th, every day, same time, John Solomon Reports podcast. John will be back tomorrow. You won't have to hear me for too much longer. So thanks so much for tuning in today. God bless you and God bless America.